0: Welcome to African Theological Scholarship Podcast, where scholars of African Christianity and theology discuss their research. Your host is Harvey Quiani, Professor of African Theology at Liverpool Hope University. Here's today's episode. Hi Israel. Hello Harvey, how are you? I'm
1: doing all right. How are you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, doing good. you to introduce yourself. My full names are Israel, Oluwale, Olof and Jana. originally from Nigeria, uh, Southwest Nigeria, uh, Yoruba by tribe. People tell me we don't use the word tribe anymore, but I still like to use tribe. And, uh, because I think, uh, it perhaps goes to pre-colonial in my thinking. So yeah, but I'm bred Nigerian, called into ministry. Pentecostal history, but then I've migrated into a Baptist sort of context. Uh, but we still Pentecostal roots, African Pentecostal roots, which goes deeper. And, uh, I suppose currently I'm pastoring a Baptist church in Southeast London, Woolich Baptist Church, which can best be described as a, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church. And, uh, what I mean by those three terms, I use multicultural in the sense of uh, we have different cultures, uh, we have youth culture in the church, we have, you know, uh, different uh, people in that context, but also multi-ethnic because we have different nationalities, different ethnicities represented. We have white British, black British, uh, you know, that sort of thing. We have about 20 nationalities in the church. And uh we are intergenerational because we have different generation, first generation Africans and Caribbeans, second generation Africans and Caribbeans, and third generation Africans, uh, in that sense, all in one space. So it's exciting to be a pastor of such church, about 120, 150 people. So in UK, people tell me that's a large church, but from a Nigerian bringing, that's still a small church. So <laughs> so that's always an interesting conversation. And uh, alongside that, yeah, you know, um, operate this thing called Center for Missionaries from the majority world, CMMW, which you and I are involved in sort of, you know, bringing a kind of a different conversation to the table around mission and training. Uh, and then thirdly, write theological textbooks and research around, um, I suppose my research encompasses the area of sort of African Pentecostalism, black majority churches, uh, diaspora theologies, world Christianity, contextual theologies, you know, African theology, sort of those areas. And within that, uh, publishing and writing, and so with that, I uh, can introduce the book, uh, which is um, well, titled World Christianity in Western Europe, uh, Diaspora, Narratives, and Missiology. And uh, this book has taken three years, and uh, it's, a, it's been a three-year project. Uh, sort of the idea started in 2017. That was when my last book was published you know, sort of African voices towards African-British theologies. And then after that was published, this old idea was brewing in my mind about looking at the whole discourse of world Christianity and uh, looking at what people like Andrew Walls have done in pioneering that and looking at the various centers like Edinburgh, Center for the Study of World Christianity, And also the one in America, Center for the Study of Global Christianity. And also Lausanne's Global Diaspora Network. And just looking at all of that. And somehow, it seems to me that there was a bit of a gap. I'm not claiming to say that there is not much written about this. But I'm saying the gap I was seeing was within the European context. That there just seems to be... I mean, when you talk about the discourse of the discipline of world Christianity or field of world Christianity. There's a lot of focus on Africa, Asia, Latin America, uh, Oceania and other places like that. And, and obviously you and I will come from Africa. So we understand that that is in itself uh, an important uh, area. But I'm looking at what Christianity has developed itself in European sphere. And it seems to me that people are slowly or gradually catching up to that. Uh, And so when you look at major European cities, you see a lot of diaspora churches, uh, whether Brazilian churches, South Korean churches, and these have been captured in different contexts. Well, I wanted to sort of begin a conversation around, I mean, Europe is a big continent. So uh, initially I was looking at all of Europe well, it quite became clear in my earlier studies and research that that is not going to be an easy task. So I had to break it down to Western Europe. So the initial title for the book, World Christianity in Europe, and then I had to sort of uh, self-criticize and say, you know, you, you can't be speaking for all of Europe. It, it's just being realistic. I didn't want to uh do that. So I felt okay, the voices that I'm having here are reflecting more of Western Europe, to be honest. Uh, and so we didn't begin to look at it. And then I had to make another decision. Should this just be uh majority world Christians in Europe are uh, contributing to this book? Or should it also include European voices who are working within diasporic context or who are doing research in that context? And so I had to make a decision Of what would be good would be to have both voices to show, you know, uh, that, okay, yeah, there are majority world Christians, uh, within the European context who are ministering here and and are also reflecting on this subject. But also, there are equally Europeans, Western Europeans, who are either pastors within this context or who are doing research within this context and bringing those voices together in one book. Uh, And so that's what uh, the book did, looking at that uh, in that sense. Uh, And so the book is divided into three sections. One is considering diasporic identities, uh, mainly looking at second-generation African-Caribbeans and uh, sort of a diasporic European identity. What does that look like? What does it mean to be an african in a European space, uh, you know, those sort of questions. And then the second one is sort of sharing stories of uh, missionary enterprises by other Latin Americans, uh, Africans who are doing missions in the European context. You have stories being told, where the majority were Christians in Wales and their contribution there, are sort of um, Filipino churches in Italy uh, that sort of story is been told. Uh, and then the last section was looking at missiology, their mission practice, their mission theology. Uh, but also within that sort of telling the story uh, of migration and mission and the interconnection between the two. Um, so th- that's the third section. But these are sort of the parameters and the sort of background to, to the book.
1: When okay. you... Talk about Western Europe. What countries are included?
0: So, again, breaking it a bit down, the countries that are included are England, Wales. Wales is a country on its own, <laughs> so we must mention that. Uh, Sweden, um, Italy, and Germany. Those are the countries uh, that are touched upon in Western Europe.
1: Okay. How many contributors in,
0: in the book? including myself, 12 contributors. Are you able to name them? Sure. Um. So we have uh, Dr. Duke Dixon uh, from Queen's Foundation, who is the Center for uh, Black Theology, which offers MA Black Theology. Uh, we have Dr. Rosalie Belloso-Ewell, Principal of Redcliffe College. We have um, James Stewart, who works for Open Doors in Wales, uh, used to work for Welsh Evangelical Alliance, and is currently doing a PhD at Oxford Centre for Mission Studies. We have uh, Usha, Usha Ralph-Snyder, who is part uh, of Centre and also doing a PhD at um, OCMS. We have uh, Hon Kim, who is South Korean, and... Uh, used to live in Oxford, but now lives in Germany and uh, has done a lot of work with Lausanne Global Diaspora Network. We also have a second-generation African, Tocque Bello, who is part of the team Mm -hmm. that leads something called Black Period, which sort of offers theological, biblical insights around what it means to be a black young person in the UK. We also have Dr. Stephen Dyer, uh, who leads a church in Berlin, Germany, as a PhD, and also teaches there in that context. And, uh, actually his contribution is based on his PhD thesis. We have a uh, Niels Manström uh, from, uh, Aston and Exchange about African Pentecostals and diaspora churches in Sweden. Uh, he's another contributor. We have a uh, Flavio Gratus, uh, who Came as a missionary from Brazil in the nineties, uh, to the UK, uh, used to formerly used to work for Evangelical Alliance, their yeah, advocacy department. And, uh, we have Mark and Claire Odd, uh, who works for BMS, uh, World Mission, uh, also contributing.
1: That sounds so, like a very rich lineup.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a mixture of, uh, scholars, Practice, yeah. Some combining both hearts, and uh, but yeah, a, a range of people, yeah, mixture of people, yeah.
1: Brilliant. So, if you were to summarize the the argument of a book, yeah. what is it saying?
0: What the book is saying is, pay attention to Europe, uh, because world Christianity is emerging, and the way it is emerging is not just a uh, only diaspora leading a diaspora church. That, that's one side of the argument. Uh, it is also diaspora people working in various contexts, multicultural, multi-ethnic. But I also go beyond that to say actually, also the mm-hmm. diaspora are uh, involved in shaping emerging theologies uh, within the European context. I think that is the argument. This is telling some of that story. Uh, And saying, yes, uh, this is an area that needs to be taken seriously. Um, That is what the book is saying in in summary. I know you're the editor of the book. What's your contribution in the book? What have you written about in the book? So, my contribution in the book was uh, taking a step further from my last book, African Voices, towards African theologies uh my contribution follows on from that exploring more about what what, what you know african british identity and what what does that how does that shape our mission theology so developing that thought further well by looking at various examples of uh african diaspora christians and arguing that there is no simple solution or simple categorization about African Christians in diaspora because th- th- there are some studies I've seen that tend to just categorize and delineate in that sense. They need category. And I'm saying, actually, you need to look at the whole picture. When we talk about African diaspora Christians uh, in Europe, we are talking of Africans who are within historic churches. We are talking about Africans who are working in, in the dependent Pentecostal charismatic churches. Uh, we are talking of uh, Pentecostals, non-Pentecostals. We are talking of the large body of church called African indigenous churches, which is a huge subject on its own. Uh, and so teasing that out and saying, when you look at all these various diaspora Christians, uh, because of, it's not in, uh, a monogeneous movement, it's not, it's heterogeneous. And so, because of that, their approach to mission also varies. The way AICs are doing mission is different from the way African New Pentecostals are doing in mission. So, the way KICC, for example, is a newer Pentecostal church that emerged in the nineties. Yeah, uh, it's different from, say, for example, Aladora International Church, founded by Father Oluwabiola in the nineteen seventies in London. Uh, so you think of 70s, 1992, two different history, but both from Africa. Uh but the mission again very different. So the way aladra International Church would do mission is through ecumenism, uh through ecumenical joint projects and thinking. Uh, because of the founder of Adel, Gabiola, he worked through the instruments of churches together in England and churches together in Britain. Whereas KSC on the other hand, uh would not walk through an, those kind of ecumenical instruments. We, we do mission sort of an independent sense. So whether it's having KICC TV or transnational networks that connects, uh, bringing renowned speakers from Europe or from Africa, like Mensa Otabil, or TD Jakes from the United States to their international gathering of champions. Uh, so, so you have a different approach to mission. They're both reaching out for different audience and different approaches to mission. And again, that will be different from someone like Yinka Oyekun, who is the president of the Baptist Union, uh, who works within an historic church tradition uh, and is running something called The Turning, which is a street evangelism initiative. Again, three different approaches Or yet African diaspora Christians uh, seeking to reach out in the European context. And so just breaking that down uh, in my paper and explaining that these are different uh, church institutions uh, and also reaching out to different audiences in the European context. But whichever strategy they are using, whichever context they are seeking to reach out to, there is a commonality of question that they are all seeking to wrestle with. And that is, what does it mean to be an African in Britain? Uh, and then you can widen that to what does it mean to be an African in the European context, whether you live in Amsterdam or you live in Berlin or you live in Frankfurt, uh, you know, uh, what does it mean and how does that affect mission uh, in that sense? So that is what my paper was exploring. And,
1: And how is the book in general answering that question? I think the book
0: in general... Is answering that question through people's lived experiences. So, for example, Tokpe Belo's contribution as a second generation African, she is answering that question by saying, I've been on a journey as an African, being part of an African Neo Pentecostal church, but they didn't answer all my questions. And so, I've, I went to do my own theological education. I went to a Bible college, Oak Hill College, and uh, reflected on theology, life, and purpose. Some of my questions were answered, but it raises more questions for me. And uh, because she went straight from an African Pentecostal to a reformed context. Uh, and, uh, And so, but it shows a migratory pattern of wanting to, wanting certain questions to be answered. So one of the initial questions she was asking was that in a Pentecostal setting, why do we all speak in tongues? And as Sunday school teachers, could not answer those kind of questions. Uh, and so that became a key factor in seeking theological education uh, in that sense. Now, while that was answered, other questions were raised within the Reformed context for her. Why are Reformed theologians a bit slow or not warming up to majority world Christian, <laughs> so okay. that or the question for her that is from the theology is more white Western, and why is that? So uh, and that's a sort of uh, you know that dialectic of I'm African, but yet at the same time, um, did she answer that question? She did, and uh, not fully. I think that would require another paper. but one of the things she I think this is part of what led to her starting Black Burien with other guys because they were having different questions uh, about same sort of issues that as Black Londoners, as Black British American origin uh, our parents think differently from us we are second generation, the questions we are asking is different from our parents Uh, but as we find ourselves in a multicultural space, our white brothers and sisters don't fully answer that question for us. And uh, how do we navigate that? Do We create things on our own. And I suspect some will do that. So hence we have Black uh, trying to speak into that context, into that space. So she did answer it, but I think she left it open for the exploration. And when you look at Dulce Dixon's contribution, second generation Caribbean, she asked a very fascinating question, uh, which again, she didn't fully answer, but again, left open, that when you look at most of the Caribbean first generation writing, it was male dominated. And she was reflecting that it would be interesting to hear the voices of the women uh, who are Caribbean, uh, reflecting into that space. And I thought that is a very serious thought there, uh, which a question I haven't really thought about, to be honest. Uh, and so it was interesting to uh, reflect on that. But also she asked another wider question, that African Caribbean Pentecostals are one of the major contributors to world Christianity in the European context. But yet, when you look at most of the published works around world Christianity, somehow it's their voices are missing. And so she asked the question, why? And, and so she feels that those voices are missing, one, because of a kind of a lack of understanding between African Caribbeans and Africans. Uh, on the one hand, uh, that is, uh, oftentimes people are happy to maybe include Africans uh, people, those of us who are from continental Africa, uh, in a book contribution, but I think once we have those voices, maybe we don't need African and Caribbean, African Caribbean voices. So almost like a substitute to say, well, if we are Africans, uh, well, then you can also speak for African Caribbeans. Whereas she's saying that shouldn't be the case. That yet, yes, it's true. African Caribbeans have their roots from Africa. But because of the whole slavery uh, journey and discourse, there is now something we call African Caribbeans, and while there is a shared root in an ancestry in Africa, African Caribbeans are still distinct from Africans uh, and have a contribution which is unique. So that, that, that those are interesting parameters, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then when you look at uh, Hong Kim, for example, a South Korean again, in European context, uh, is looking at uh, different sort of South Koreans within the European context, particularly Central Asia, and asking the sort of questions that what sort of South Koreans will be needed uh, to reach out to, uh, as, as he puts it, uh, Chinese South Koreans. Uh, and again, he opens up a whole new possibilities Of how we think about south koreans before i used to just think of south koreans as one but he gave different strands that there are russian south koreans chinese south koreans and it was opening up a whole lot of new thinking that i'm like okay this is fascinating and he's asking the question what sort of south koreans will reach out to south koreans in central asia and
1: you make me curious now i would like to hear the answer to that question (laughs) what what type
0: of south koreans we we will be needed to reach out. Yeah, sure. yeah, I know. It's uh, I mean, I suppose for me, I, this is where I find the book very fascinating. Just reading all these papers, uh, all these contributions, and the kind of questions people are asking, you could really tell that these are questions people have been wrestling with. But these are not uh just simple uh questions and also the solutions that people offered, they are not simple, straightforward solutions. There are things that people have, because most of these people are practitioners on the ground as well as scholars. These are things that they are testing and trying out. Uh, so for example, Hong Kim, um, as a South Korean, he operates in a context that it's not, well, he has roots in South Korea and he is as, roots within the South Korean community and is well known. His work and ministry transcends the South Korean community. It is well known in other spaces, whether that is Lausanne or Cleave Global Alliance. Uh, and so you can see that these are people that are credible, insightful solutions to questions they ask.
1: So um, having worked with all these persons from all these different brilliant scholars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what do you think is the state of world Christianity in Europe today?
0: I think the state of world Christianity in Europe is, uh, gives a mixed picture. Okay. Uh, mixed picture in the sense that, one, is there is a huge presence of world Christians in Europe. There is a huge presence. But sadly, not every European uh, Christian organization or institution recognizes that. I think we still have European mission agents that are very slow to understand this. Some are definitely understanding that and are catching up. Uh, and some are still very slow. So that, that's the sort of first strand. The second strand of the state is there are war Christians in Europe who are mainly reaching out to their own kind, as it were. And that would be, let's say, Brazilian leading Brazilian churches, Nigerian leading Nigerian churches. That is still the case for so many. There are equally those who are transcending that and going beyond to use the term, uh, through and beyond the diaspora, uh, to reach out to not just their own uh, people, but beyond that. So we have examples of that. But another layer to the state of what Christianity is, I suppose we have, um, we have European mission agencies who are involved in diaspora ministries. And this is where some people find it a bit controversial uh, that should white Europeans be working in the area of diaspora? So when you look at sometimes European mission agencies, their diaspora coordinator of work is still white European,
1: mm-hmm, uh, <laughs>
0: working with diaspora people. And so it begs the question, mm, okay, why is that uh And does that need to change? If yes, how do we change that? Uh, so that, uh, you know, how do we change that so that you have diaspora people working together in that kind of context? And there are some conversations taking place. Uh, but there are some that are not happening yet. Uh, and so the state sometimes feels like you have diaspora World majority world Christians in Europe who are doing some cutting-edge, exciting stuff. But there are times some of them lack finances (laughs) to make some of their projects exciting. And then on the other hand, you have European institutions, mission agencies, and church denominations who have the resources but lacks the information and the personnel and the cutting edge. And at times you are thinking there needs to be uh, a sort of a working together, a collaboration that is uh, parallel that levels the playing field, not colonial or neo-colonial uh, in, in that sense. Uh, you have all these things together happening simultaneously uh, all across Europe. But, uh, whether, Even though I've looked at mainly Western Europe, but when you look at Eastern Europe, uh, you have similar things happening. And there is still a question which I didn't answer in this book, which is, how are we going to categorize Eastern Europeans, you know, for the language of world Christianity? Because oftentimes we talk about Asia, Africa, uh, uh, Latin America and other things. Eastern Europe, uh, how do we categorize that? Are we categorizing that as Europeans or are we categorizing that as new forms of world Christianity? So it'd be interesting how we unpack that again for Mm -hmm. the people. It's a question I just teased about. He didn't answer because, uh, he wasn't the remit of this book. But the state of world Christianity in Europe, it gives a mixed picture. Some frustrating and some exciting.
1: Oh, brilliant. That's, that's quite helpful. Um, there, there is a, a rising conversation
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: in some mythological circles that wants to make it clear that Europe is a mission field. Mm hmm and it needs a or engagement both by European Christians and um, world Christians living in Europe.
0: Mm, yes. Does
1: does this book reflect in any way on, on that conversation at all?
0: Yes, it does. Um, so when I think of the story of Flavio Gouratus, who came with his wife, Karen, from Brazil, I mean, they left good jobs, family connection, well-connected. I mean, Flavio left Brazil at a time when his business was booming. And the only reason why he came was because there was a call to UK uh, because there were pastors here who were saying UK is a mission field and uh, they needed the help of Latin Americans. So Flavio and his wife came as part of that calling which definitely recognizes that Europe <laughs> uh, is a mission field. Now, this was in the 90s. Now, Flavio said something to me in a personal conversation. He said that, uh, you know, when he first of all came and started telling people that he was a missionary from Brazil, and, you know, and a lot of the churches didn't welcome them because they just felt, well, Britain doesn't need missionaries. We send missionaries. <laughs> so this was in the 90s. And uh, so, it, it, yeah, it was, you know, interesting one. And also on Kim's contribution mentioned that from around 2004, that was when the whole South Korean mission movement uh, to Europe are celebrated. It was before that, but he said 2004 marks a significant shift uh, in South Korean missions to uh, Britain. And, you know, today we have something called South Korean prayer movement. Uh, sending short-term missionaries from South Korea to Britain every year. They're doing it in France as well. And, uh, so it, it's interesting. All those, these are languages that are saying Europe as a mission field. Uh, also my own contribution, uh, looking at African diaspora Christians, uh, looking at their mission, uh, again, is couched within that language that Europe is a mission field. Uh, it, it's God needs. So, yeah, so definitely I think the book endorses that thinking. Oh. Uh, Europe is definitely a uh, mission field.
1: What's the target audience for the,
0: the book? Um, I think scholars of um, world Christianity will find it exciting. Missiology will definitely uh, be interested in the book because he addresses different missiological questions uh, theological educators who teach in these areas, contextual theologies, will find it uh, very exciting. Uh, students, uh, postgraduate students, uh, I think will definitely be interested in this book for their thesis or dissertation uh, in those areas. And then finally, I think um, anyone interested in diaspora conversation, Christian or not Christian, interested because obviously the book is looking at uh, diasporic identity and things like that. So Christians and non-Christians who are interested in diasporic people will be interested in that. Yeah. And obviously ministers, church leaders uh, who are Africans, Latin Americans, Asia, who are ministering in Europe, uh, who want to read this book because they want to understand the context in which they are ministering. And learn from the experiences of some of these people. So those are different categories of people. That, uh, I mean, this is why the book is on the one hand, it's scholarly with footnotes and uh all those things, but on the other hand, there are sections of it that are just stories. Uh in that sense to appeal to uh to people who are good with thinking with their minds and those who are uh, The point of view. (laughs) So, theology of the head and of the heart. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. If you were not the editor of the book, why would you buy it?
0: If I'm not the editor, uh, I will want to buy it because of the different voices, the mixture of voices uh, of Europeans as well as majority world Christians in Europe. I would like to know, understand that combination. I would be interested in that. And all the people mentioned that there are people in their various areas that are known in their context and their are voices that people listen to. So I would want to buy it because of that. All
1: right. Good. Thank you. Thank Anything you. else you want to
0: say about the book? Um, I suppose the other thing to mention is that, you know, the sort of introductory chapter offers a sort of, a bit of a history Mm -hmm. that while this is not for scholars in this area, what Christianity is not necessarily anything new, but it's always important to mention that this thing we call what Christianity, it's not a modern thing. What Christianity goes back to the day of Pentecost. And I think oftentimes if we just see it as what Christianity is a, a modern movement that went from European Christendom to the world. I think, yeah, that's part of the story. The story starts from when the self was birthed on the day of Pentecost with various uh Jewish diasporans converging on this particular day of Pentecost. For me, that is the start of world Christianity. So I think uh, world Christianity is very important to know that it's his history is inextricably bound to the history of the Church. And they both started at the same time.
1: Sure. And and you have been a bit intentional of highlighting the Pentecostal nature or charismatic nature of what Christianity.
0: Yes, because I always find this interesting that when we look at particularly European mission movement, evangelical movement, it's at a distance from... Uh, global Pentecostalism. And I find that very interesting that we have this European mission movement, and I can name various names, but I, I won't. But when you look at their way of operating and their network, Pentecostals are not recognized within that space. And so I find it interesting that we have this European who would claim to be global mission movement but yet don't want to have anything to do with global Pentecostalism which is the fastest growing section of Christianity and uh, and and I think it was something I was wrestling with in the first chapter uh, just to tease out that there's no way you would talk world Christianity without talking global Pentecostalism just like the same way you can't talk world Christianity without talking about uh, you know, sort of world mission and the movements within that. So I I just find that dichotomy (laughs) interesting. (laughs) And a misnomer, if I may say. We need to bridge that gap because I think there is a reluctance from European mission agencies about whether it's African Pentecostals or Caribbean Pentecostals or any Pentecostals at all to just keep arms length. And I think... The global Pentecostal movement is at the forefront of mission thinking because they are the ones that are doing the exciting church plants, Pentecostal and charismatics. Uh, they are the ones experimenting with different church planting. Uh, they, yeah, their energy for mission is, yeah, is as high up there as your average European mission movement. So I think there needs to be a conversation around them.
1: Sure. And maybe that's a conversation that we can sit down and talk about <laughs> some, some some day in the future. Yes.
0: Yeah, it would be go good to first, it be good to have a panel on that and reflect on that more.
1: Yeah.
0: I yeah. think yeah, it's a it's a big topic.
1: Yeah. And that people can can listen to this and have a glimpse of what's happening in the book. Yes. And, and very exciting to do that. Sure. All right. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Ave.